Hey everybody, we're about to get to my conversation with Sam McDonald, and I know I've done so many of these podcasts, I cannot really say uh, favorite, but this is definitely uh, one of my favorites. Uh, I enjoy Sam so much, and he gives a lot of good wisdom uh, from his experience in Africa, as well as youth ministry, as well as being a senior pastor. So I hope you guys enjoy that. I also want to remind everyone about our summer youth conferences. Be sure to sign up if you have not yet done that for your group. Uh, here's my conversation with Sam. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Today, we'll be talking to Reverend Sam McDonald. Sam, how's it going? John, doing well. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, looking forward to getting to catch up with you a little bit on the podcast and get to let other people um, hear from you. Uh, Sam is the senior pastor at Faith Pres, Faith Presbyterian. I need to cut the slang out. Faith. Just get that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just in case somebody didn't know what Pres was. Faith Presbyterian <laughs> uh, in Brookhaven, Mississippi. Uh, Sam, how long have you been there now? I've been at Faith uh, as pastor one year, though I served here years ago in uh, the youth ministry and, strangely enough, grew up here. So it's actually my home church. Very unique experience. Yeah, yeah. But I've been here a year. Yeah, okay, a year. I couldn't remember if it it had been a year yet. Um, So Sam, he was in Corinth, Mississippi for a while. He's been over at Africa Bible College. And so, Sam, before we get into just some of your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, family, children, and and where you've been? Well, John, uh, I was born in Wiggins, Mississippi, and um, my father ran the local newspaper. But uh, when I was two years old, he moved to Brookhaven. And so, uh, there is where I would consider home, Brookhaven, Mississippi. Um, I'm married. I have a wife, Leanne, of 23 years now. We both met while attending the University of Southern Mississippi. And the Lord's blessed us with three uh, very talented and funny daughters. Amber, who's uh, 21. She's a student at Mississippi State. And then Molly Grace, she is a freshman at Kapai Lincoln Community College, bound to go to USM next year, Southern Miss. And then our, our baby's in eighth grade, Sarah Rose. She's 14, and she's uh, going to be with us for a few years. So I grew up in Brookhaven and um, graduated from Brookhaven High School and attended Southern Miss, got a degree in journalism and a degree in history as a, a master's student. Um, and then, uh, you know, that's it. That's my background. Yeah. And so from when did you, and I know we might get into some of this in your, your story, when did you go to seminary and think about ministry and, and all of that? I was a little bit older going to seminary compared to you know the, a lot of the classmates. I, I started seminary, I think, when I was 30. Um, I had uh, experience under me as a teacher and working in newspapers before um, my wife and I concluded that the Lord was leading us into ministry. So I didn't start seminary till really 2001, but then, you know, we had a chance to go serve overseas for a couple of years before finishing up. So I actually completed my studies in 2005. Uh, so I'd have been 35 years old when I finished seminary. Hmm. And then went over to African Bible College right after graduation. Is that right? Both before and and uh, afterwards. We, we served for two years before actually taking seminary on full time. And then after seminary, went back for a couple of terms uh, with ABC in Malawi. They have three campuses in Africa, and we served in the, the southernmost one in, in Malawi, Africa. Hmm. So we were with the ministry about a decade. Hmm. Yeah, and I know we'll, we'll get into some of that as we hear your story. Uh, again, those who have been tuning into the local youth worker know that we're getting a lot of people to share their stories in this third season of the podcast. 
Um, and so, yeah, well, we're going to get into your story of how you came to know uh, the Lord as well as just uh, youth ministry. I know you did some youth ministry as well and kind of did, I guess, wore a lot of hats in some uh, churches that you've been a part of as uh, well as talking about just your experience as a missionary in Africa and uh, sharing some thoughts there. Um, so Sam, why don't we begin with you just telling us uh, where you, I mean, you've already said where, where you've grown up, but how you came to to know the Lord. Um, again, you said you grew up at the church you're now uh, serving in. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord. Yeah, it's, it's taken me years to realize every, every conversion is a miracle, but in, in terms of cataloging it, it would seem pretty boring. Um, I had, you know, regular parents who struggled to get their sons to church and be faithful in attendance and um, live consistent lives at home. So it was it was not the, the storybook, you know, Christian home. But uh, my parents had a deep, genuine faith and um, made sure that we were exposed to it uh, as as children. I, I'd say just through the normal ministry of the church, I came to know the Lord. And like a lot of kids growing up in a covenant community, um, community where everyone is nurturing you in the faith, I, you know, I, I, I can't say that I had a, a magic bullet experience, but I joined the church at 11 and I'm convinced that I truly love the Lord, <clears throat> understood His grace. Uh, and it was nurtured very, very well as a teenager. I was very blessed to be raised in the environment that I was. And so um, I, w- I would have been um, a, um, a devoted, <clears throat> felt like I was uh, learning the, the faith as a, a young man, as a teenager. Um, so, yeah, that's it, my conversion story. No, No heroin addictions, no... Crashed airplanes, mm-hmm. um, you know. It's hoping for something, yeah, more exciting, just for the listeners at least. But um, yeah, that'll that'll do, Sam. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, that's that's a great a great testimony. And like you said, it's sometimes I can remember being younger and kind of being embarrassed of my testimony because very similar to yours, you know, growing up in a um, Christian home and and you know coming to know the Lord at a young age and just feeling like oh, it should be something more exciting. Um, yeah. But, but again, those. Testimonies are very encouraging, um, uh, for sure, to hear. And, and so, Sam, when you, you grew up in the church at age 11. You joined the church. Did, did you have a youth group experience at, at Faith Perez? And what, and what kind of a, a, ch- a child were you in, in yeah. the church? What kind of stories would the— Oh, I was awful. Yeah, <laughs> it was just awful. Now, youth group was actually a new phenomenon when I was coming along. I, I've, I, I, I'm the age where I could see the transition from not having a youth group to having a youth group. We had a particular pastor that uh, saw that as uh, an importance and so hired the first full-time youth minister while I was 13 years old. Mm. Prior to that, it had kind of been considered like a wing of Christian education, and so um, you might have a 5.30 p.m. Sunday Bible study, but the idea of being in the lives of the youth and um, being interested in relationship with them was very new uh, as I was coming along. And, and we did. Uh, so I got to experience both worlds, and that was a, a very important part of my upbringing. Uh, to have a youth minister that was solely uh, focused on discipling me and and the issues that were pertinent to teenagers and having a venue where it was uh, exclusively students and you know part of that was um, uh, activities and things which we had never had anything prior to that so uh, introducing us to conferences like RYM. I, First went to RYM when I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. It was brand new and few people, but that was the kind of thing the youth group afforded us to be able to do. Now, the the gentleman that was my youth minister is amazed that the Lord called me into ministry because he was convinced I was the one student who 
did not want to be there, who was always giving the nonverbal signals that this was uninteresting, that he was a terrible teacher. Uh, it was a joke, the eye roller, everything. And, mm. you know, but then he would ask me questions and I would uh, regurgitate almost word for word. So it, f- for him, he said I was a encouragement because it looked like I had zero interest, but uh, the Lord uh, seemed to use that nonetheless. Mm. I was a good moral kid. I was a good, uh, diligent, dutiful child. And uh, it's probably why when I turned 18, I completely walked away from the church. Hmm. Because um, I, I, I began to develop, a, it's pretty cliche now, and I, I, this would become the more dramatic part of my story, but you know, when I turned 18, my parents began to give me freedoms, whether to be a part of church or not, and I, I walked away. Mm-hmm. And, and going into college, I just began to see more and more divide between the faith that I was taught, the faith that I sensed in my own life, and of course, the faith I saw in others. Um, you know, teenagers, say what you want about them, they're really trying to discover a genuineness. And man, I just, I, I don't know, I, I sense such hypocrisy, such two-facedness in uh, the people around me that I just, you know, drifted away mm. uh, from from the faith and from being a part of it. Um, I didn't fall into great uh, tragic immoralities other than unbelief, which I suppose is the greatest of all um, tragedies, but even that period of you know college and then beyond, it was a uh, an exploration and understanding that um, you know I, I had a clear idea once I was through that wilderness that God had never once abandoned me, hmm. and there were little smatterings of His grace along the way, hmm. usually expressed through the very people that I consider to be hypocrites. They hmm. would reach out in love or kindness and, you know, express something that um, dumbfounded my arrogance, I believe, at the point. Um, Mm. So when, okay, this is 18, you kind of, you walk away from the church. When when did you come back? Uh, When did you start to to give church a second chance? Yeah, part of it was tragedy. Uh, Part of it was the loss of my only brother in a car accident Mm. and just the weight of, the questions, the unanswerable questions. I think also that the, the that humbles you to a degree that you you can't uh, quantify or predict. Uh, I was humbled. I saw the vastness of reality versus the way I just thought life was in that moment. You can't stop death. You can't stop tragedy. Um, it made you rethink the things that were really important. And in that sense, it was just a great gift that I'm, I'm, I'm scared to say, I, I, you know, whether I've had, if I could have it back, if I would trade it, you know, I'm, I'm grateful the Lord doesn't work that way. But that was a big part of it. That didn't suddenly run me back to the church, but it really began a, a conversation between myself and God about the nature of things and who we are. And, and uh, you know, it's the old dark night of the soul for which I'm, I'm very grateful. But also, you know, the Lord also brings um, um, a spouse into your life, and then he puts children into your life. And um, I think as a skeptic, you could look at those things and say, oh, well, sure, you know, that's convenient. But, you know, I think the Lord uses normal everyday things to rekindle um, a desire to be near him and to know him. Uh, you know, when you have a marriage you um, and children, you suddenly realize you don't know anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you thought you did. You thought you were smart. You thought you had it figured out. And you begin to grope for uh, something bigger than yourself. And for me, I felt like um, my time as a teen was laying foundations, 
and um, it it allowed me the liberty to explore and doubt and question, but it it was there and in place when when real life began to take shape that um, the Lord used all of that to to draw me back in in a big way. And so from that moment on, I, I began to get really hungry and um, used some significant people in my life, you know, pastors that would have thought they were wasting their time. They have no idea how important their conversations were at that time. So that's how I got back in. And so was this... Was this during your, your college years uh, where, I mean, you're talking about the, the tragedy of your brother and then also meeting Leanne. And so you were still in college when you started to attend church again. Is that correct? No, actually, after we had gotten married, but, um, you know, the, the conversations with the Lord getting me there had begun kind of at the end of my studies. Okay. All right. And so, again, as you said, grew up in the church and then in college kind of stepping away uh, from the church and just being somewhat bitter uh, at the church, seeing you know, some of the hypocrisy as you spoke of. Uh, when did you start considering you know, full-time ministry and getting into to ministry? How, how did the Lord start to, as you said, just kind of some of your conversations with Him? And you kind of, I mean, said that at the end, just started to have a passion. Uh, but where did this start and when did you start thinking about full-time ministry? Yeah, it's kind of a convergence. I was teaching history at Brookhaven High School and loved teaching, loved the students. Um, I struggled a lot with some of the things I was having to teach them because their lives were often in pretty difficult places. Uh, School is a real microcosm of the city you live in, and it was a part of the part of the society I just had little exposure to. And so I found so much more connection to um, trying to um, connect on, you know, more important levels with the students, um, life issues, and um, walking with them through pain. Um, you know, a teacher I, I know now is any city's really great missionary. Hmm. Uh, but at the time I didn't feel like school was the venue that could connect the things that I was rediscovering in church, rediscovering in the word, rediscovering in those things I was reading with lessons about Charlemagne or, you know, the Magna Carta that didn't seem to resonate with, you know, the student whose mom has spent all of their money at the casino um, and, you know, having trouble doing his homework because their lights had been shut off. So, you know, coupled with that, opportunities in the summer, because I was teaching to spend time uh, chaperoning um, youth events to, say, RYM, um, growing spiritually there and being available to help lead mission teams. And so, all of those things, the love for teaching, the, the you know, heart for the brokenhearted and uh, seeing myself emerge more and more as a leader in service um, kind of came to a head in, in the year 2000. Um, and I can still remember sitting in the kitchen talking to my wife and saying, I, I know this is crazy. I've got to tell you, I, I just think maybe the Lord's calling us to ministry. I want to explore seminary and having her, um, and you know, I I'm just blessed in so many ways because my wife's always said, if you think that's what the Lord's calling us to, mm. let's go for it. So, awesome. and she was, she was very much, um, willing to explore that with me. So that's where, you know, we began to explore ministry. Now, what from there would, would we do? You know, I just assumed because I loved teaching that that's what I was going to be doing, uh, that I needed to learn how to preach and that everyone would just hang on my word. That would be ministry. Uh, but the Lord had a, the Lord had a sense of humor and that he let me one work with youth for a while. Boy, do they care what you have to say. And two, um, 
insert sarcasm. Um, but two, he also, in the middle of that, uh, gave us an opportunity to go serve in a foreign, and I mean completely foreign culture. And so I had to learn ministry from the ground up, uh, relationships, patience, um, you know, being just a presence with people, um, rather than, you know, and it's the old adage, you know, learning to care for people before you expect them to care about what you have to say. So that, that was our journey into ministry. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And awesome to hear, uh, Leanne's support, uh, there. Um, because as you said, (laughs) I know this is crazy, but this is what I'm, I'm sensing. Uh, and, and again, to hear more of your story and to hear how, uh, crazy that may sound uh, to someone, but to hear Leanne's unwavering support there is is awesome. Uh, and- yeah, I, that that was one of the things, you know, as you kind of move into ministry, you hear, it, it's interesting, at the time, I would have put all my weight on internal calling, you know, as because I... It was as if, you know, it doesn't matter what people say. It's what I know the Lord to be calling me to. Now I would, you know, say the other is equally valid or in some cases more valid because uh, it's it's comforting, it's compelling, it's humbling when others that you've shared life with, including people in your congregation or your pastors, say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely have seen this and have been praying for it. And I, I had that uh, come come to my doorstep uh, several occasions where I would share, hey, I'm thinking about ministry and, you know, this, you know, mom of a student who, you know, is 30 years my major would uh, reveal to me, oh, well, thank the Lord, I've been praying for that, you know. So that that was compelling to hear that people had actually been praying toward that end. Wow, yeah, um, for sure. Well, well, Sam, now that you're, you know, on this side of ministry, uh, you said you did some youth ministry. You've been over in Africa for a time. You've been senior pastor of two churches. Is that right? That's correct, John. Okay. Two churches, two mega churches. <laughs> um, so now that you, you've had this perspective, you're on this side of ministry, kind of thinking back, you know, to your time, you know, growing up in the church, you talking about being the, the teenager who would roll his eyes and all that at the teacher. And, and now you're on the receiving end of that at, at, at times. You know, what would you like to say to those those influential people in your life, you know, from church, those congregants, you know, those who, you know, in the nursery as well as Sunday school, but those pastors too, just from your, your childhood, what are some things you'd like to say uh, to them now that you're on this side of it? Yeah. You know, and I, I have a unique experience in that I literally get to say that to people that helped raise me in the faith Hmm. because now the people that taught me, uh, I'm pastoring my home church, which people always warn against, but I've seen a different reality to it. I'm getting to now come back and encourage them in the years where they volunteer to teach four and five year old Sunday school, <laughs> or even worse, seventh and eighth grade <laughs> boys. Uh, and being able to tell them, and I've had this occasion, I've had this opportunity a few times, and it's amazing to see their faces that, you know, I've gotten to tell people that have long, you know, been out of the game, you know, I I walk with Jesus today because of you. Hmm. And of course, what they're immediately thinking about is, when did I share, you know, the sinner's prayer with you, you know, and I don't mean that, I mean... You were there. You, I don't remember a word you said. I don't remember a lesson that you stressed over. I don't remember, you know, that you felt unequipped at the time. I had no idea of that. What I do know is that I remember you being there, and I can only imagine it was a struggle, but you were present. And in my mind, that represented... Um, 
someone that cared and it represented someone that believed this stuff because we all have our doubts and moments. And so I, I found that to be such a treasure. And so that's the lesson I would give to all of them. You know, one, we all must get over ourselves. Um, but at the same time, it's how important you are. Uh, the Lord's going to use precisely what you don't think he's going to use mm. to influence another soul. And uh, go in there and prepare and do your thing, but understand the Lord can work at so many other different levels. Uh, and I found that to be a comfort as a pastor. And I think that's a word of encouragement to all those who <clears throat> wrestle with uh, serving in the Lord's work. Yeah, encouraging. Absolutely. I mean, just, just hearing that, a few things. I mean, one, as you just said, the Lord's going to use, you know, what you don't think he's going to use and how encouraging that is. I mean, one, to uh, the Lord loves uh, to work through our weakness. And oftentimes, you know, it is the thing maybe we're most insecure about or the thing that we feel like oh, we just are not as gifted as this person or whatever. And that it's often that very thing the Lord is going to use to show you that, one, he loves to involve his children in ministry, uh, but he's going to, you know, use it to humble us so that we're at a point of weakness and total dependence upon him uh, to realize we, we cannot do it on our own. Um, so, so that I mean, just deeply encouraging. But then also just the, as you're illustrating, I mean, just those people being present in your life. Um, you know, people have said something similar, you know, to that on this podcast. And every time we, we hear that, I mean, those listening have to be reminded of just the significance of that. I mean, in God's grace, you're you're the senior pastor of a congregation right now because people took the time to invest in this sometimes arrogant teenager, and I could echo that about myself, uh, this disinterested teenager. And so just thinking of how the Spirit uh, can use that and how the Lord does use that um, has to be a deep encouragement to all those listening, thinking, okay, I just had a lesson that bombed and nobody heard me at all, and what was the point of all of that? Um, yeah, yeah. The Lord loves to use that. Yeah, and it kind of translates, you, you alluded to it, the other way. As one ministering, it gives you such a sense of patience with um, the person to whom you're ministering, because especially if you're a youth worker, uh, you're seeing this um, you know, 16-year-old who is so immature and uh, arrogant, as you said, and obsessed with Fortnite, and you just can't, you know, you want to, you, that's what they're, you're going to judge their life based upon. And 30 years later, you know, 40 years later, uh, and it helps to have that perspective in the moment that this is not the sum total of who you're going to be when you're older. And I'm, I'm getting to play just a piece of the puzzle. And I say that because as a minister, you always feel this pressure to kind of fix people now, heal people now, get them fired up for the Lord right now. And uh, it just isn't the way it works. And so it's it's a relief knowing that the Lord, you know, is is doing something in them, too. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, as we're I'm thinking about RYM's youth leader training is coming up, or I guess by the time this airs, it's uh, the second one in Pennsylvania has already going to have occurred. But part of the philosophy of ministry, I mean, one of the kind of presuppositions is the fact that God is at work. <laughs> and mm. as we've had that as a theme of our summer conference, God is at work, even when it feels like he's not. Uh, mm -hmm. Just clinging to that uh, reality uh, is mm -hmm. a deep encouragement. And just such a a relief and you know just all the stress and anxiety over so many things by just clinging to that truth uh, can fade away so yeah and you feel that pressure especially you know poor youth workers they you know are typically younger and so they have to uh they have to serve as employees to uh elders who have you know business mentalities and uh, goals to achieve and um, rubrics to quantify. And, you know, it's it's refreshing when you got others around you saying, hey, brother, you know, just nod yes to their 
questions and fill out their planning forms. But hey, it's it, the Lord in his own good time. You just go be there. Mm-hmm. Relax. Yeah. And so, so uh, thinking a little bit more on your youth ministry experience, uh, what, what did you hate about youth ministry? <laughs> and then ending on the, the good note, what did you enjoy about youth ministry? I hated great value cookies, the you know they're, <laughs> the the kind that are the rings. Yes, you know they're yeah. sort of a geometric shape with a ring, and they <laughs> sometimes had a swirl, but it was not a real swirl. It was a real chocolate. But, but it's uh, kind of an acquired taste. I grew to where I liked I liked those cookies. So well, what I liked about them is that I would get to take them home because yeah, that's right. you know, it's not having them to myself. Nobody <laughs> ate. Um, <clears throat> That, that's Man, a valid yeah. critique of youth ministry. That's it okay. is a valid critique. Uh, you wouldn't take those to your, you know, who you were trying to impress this party, but here you're bringing it to the Lord. <laughs> um, what did I hate about youth ministry? Well, you know, you get to a certain age, and even the things you hated at the time, you can look back on with fondness. But I can tell you in the moment, I remember oftentimes feeling like a travel agent for spoiled brat kids. Uh, yeah. Now, we're a middle-class town, but uh, our students, there was nothing that they had not really experienced. Um, but you still felt this pressure to take them on a ski trip or um, get them to um, a, a ropes course or something. And, of course, now I can look back and see there was value in that. Mm-hmm. But it was really the presence. But when you're the one doing it, it's hard not to. It's hard to see only the the trees and not the forest. And so I I hated that pressure coming around. Like, well, here's the part of the year where you've got to be a travel agent to kids who've already been to this place, you know, a dozen times. Um, that may be blowing your youth no. category. Um, <clears throat> no, that's good. That's what I'm looking for. I did, I did, I did not like that um, too much. But now I can see how you know there are a lot of kids where that's an opportunity to spend time with them away from their families of origin, their insane homes, and their cell phones. Um, I didn't like. Um, I didn't like the idea of segregation. Um, youth ministry seemed to be the one area where segregation was an acceptable practice for Christians. And I've seen lots of correctives on that in recent years, and I'm grateful for that. More, more emphasis on incorporating kids into the body. But when I was a a youth minister, <clears throat> again, youth ministry as a culture had been kind of new. And so, you know, there was this kind of instinctual, you know, belief that the youth would just go do their thing. There would be a youth-only missions trip, or there would be a youth-only project, or if there was something that needed to be fixed or repaired, or some old lady's yard that needed to be cleaned, you know, someone would graciously offer the services of the youth because they needed to learn service, you know. So those kind of things always got under my skin because I was coming from the perspective that, you know, why don't you come help us and be an example to these youth rather than, you know, telling them what they ought to be doing. Um the same was true with our meetings. I, I do realize students need to not always be with adults. Um, they need their own space. They need a place where they can be frenzied and neurotic and uh, hormonal. But by the same token, there was a great value in you know um, students being with older people in prayer or in um, seasons of grieving or whatever, whatever the case may be. So um, that has corrected itself, I think. I think there's been more emphasis on families and um, 
mixing age groups. But at the time, I, I hated the idea, like, you just go do your thing, and the rest of the church is going to function over here. And I, I think we've seen such an exodus of young people from the normal, you know, bloodstream of the church in recent years that we've kind of asked the questions, hey, wait, what are we doing? So those are the things I hated about ministry, travel agency and segregation. <laughs> now, what did I love about youth ministry? <clears throat> I discovered I loved, you know, the students who were idiots, <laughs> who acted silly. Um, I, I realized they were looking for attention, <laughs> and I have fond and warm memories of them now. I loved trips with kids. I love the youth conferences we got to go to together. Um, that developed such a trust between myself and the students. Um, I love that those kinds of things like that, that seem like you're not accomplishing anything, you know, 15 years later, those kids are asking you to marry them. Um, uh, and by that, I mean, not marry them. <laughs> it's uh, always a, the, the terminology. It's always hard to, to get that out. Um, of, you know, oftentimes <laughs> I, I've introduced uh, the pastor who married us and I'm like, he <laughs> married me or married. And it's just always awkward trying to get out, but you know, there, there's gotta be some right. better terminology there. They ask to conduct their weddings and so forth. <laughs> and it's usually the kids you didn't think again, had any connection whatsoever, but uh, that mattered to them. So I, I did love that about youth ministry. They weren't as gripey as adults are. They didn't complain <laughs> as much as adults do. And so I, I miss a lot of that. They, they, they could often be the conscience of uh, uh, the church, and I appreciated that about them. So I, I, I do miss a lot of that. And that's again just good perspective, and uh, that that can be helpful for us to to hear and think about. You know, as you're on the other side of it now, you're the senior pastor, and I know you've had some involvement in youth ministry as the senior pastor. I think at uh, Trinity Pres in Corinth, uh, you're kind of doing both, wearing a lot of hats there. Um, but anyway, that's just some some good um, perspective. Uh, now, look, also getting you to talk just a little bit about um, being a missionary. And I know there's a sense in which we're all missionaries. And so I want to be correct there before somebody <laughs> jumps in, <laughs> uh, co corrects us, you know, out in the, the Twitter sphere. Uh, <laughs> so well, what are um, just some lessons that you learned um, from going, you know, over to Africa, uh, serving uh, on the mission field over there? Yeah, man, there it, it really is innumerable. Um, there's some big, you know, mega lessons, I suppose. Um, you know, one of the things I learned is that uh, Jesus's church is huge. Hmm. Um, he's not losing. <laughs> uh, it is. I, I don't. Whatever narrative is being preached about America and the, you know, the drain of the church and millennials and you know, the, the increasing secularism and stuff, the unchurched and dechurched, I'm telling you, it's massive. And uh, Africa was an encouragement in that way. Um, it was also encouraging to be able to experience that uh, white Western experts aren't as needed as we once were. Mm. Uh, that's a self-critique. That's not the, their words. Their words would be like, we love you and we want to share our lives with you. But it was a, it was a humbling to see how the Lord was using his body uh, in spite of us, in spite of our expertise, in spite of our experiences and, and uh, history and so forth. Um, <clears throat> I learned the importance of trusting the Lord, getting out of the way, patience. Uh, the, the efforts in places like Malawi, which is a developing nation, are so vast and big that, you know, there's no technique that you can develop that's going to do what, what needs to be done. Um, the Lord will do his thing as he wishes. 
Um, I learned the importance of sitting on the ground with people, um, of making leadership more about playing, um, playing the fool. Uh, here's what I mean. In Africa, the, the, the pastor, the minister is still a phenomenally respected character. Uh, he's seen as a village chief and he's a man of authority and integrity and he's a man of sobriety. He's a serious man. And it was good as a missionary not needing the approval of a culture to be able to go sit on the ground and play with kids um, which is, and sit in the dirt, which is not something a minister would do. And so in that way, you got to really feel like you were doing something like Jesus would do. Mm. Um, the same is true for funerals. You know, this, uh, the greatest ministry I had in Africa was probably going and sitting for an entire day with families that were grieving. It seemed like such a waste of time. Uh, but it was in a place where that mattered. Mm. Uh, and so I'm able to bring that kind of thing back here and realize that um, to truly see the Lord working in people's lives requires something that you can't learn in a book. Uh, you can't you can't explain in a PowerPoint. Um, you can't explicate in a technique. It's just uh, kind of rediscovering your own humanity and letting that be enough. Um, and uh, letting the Lord do his thing in the midst of that. So, um, you know, Africa and the needs are so overwhelming that all you can do is just go be a loving presence. And maybe that's what the Lord uh, had for us. You know, it wasn't so much what we were able to say, but just who we were able to become. That's excellent. And so, Sam, I mean, as you said, just the, the lessons you learned were, were somewhat, you know, innumerable. I mean, just uh, I'm sure you're reflecting constantly on that. But but again, you, you were over in Malawi. What what total? I mean, even your stint before you finished seminary and then afterwards. So two years and then five years. So we were a total of seven years. Now, we work with ABC stateside too, just raising awareness and support for 11 years is, is our total uh, dealing with uh, foreign inter cross-cultural uh, missions work. So, so 11 years total. And, and uh, you know, you can give us some perspective uh, from that. I know you wouldn't say you're now an expert on missions and uh, what it should look like. But, but what are some, some truths uh, that you think missionaries would like the church to know? Um, again, yeah. now that you've gone over, you've done something, now you're back over. I mean, what, what are some ways in which, I mean, again, those inside the church are, can be passionate about missions. They can think they're helping. I know many are aware of the, the book, When Helping Hurts. Right. Uh, but, but what are some of those truths you think missionaries would say, hey, church, listen to this. We, we'd love for you to, to be aware of this and to know this. Yeah, especially for those churches that do have uh, a heart to help. I think the greatest help is just being uh, open to being wrong, uh, listening. Uh, those missionaries on the ground have um, have the insights to help you. Actually, if you're say planning to do a short-term mission trip, uh, asking them, "Do we even need to come? And if we do, what do we need to do and not do?" Uh, I think in our circles, there has developed a greater sensitivity to that over the last decade, and part of that being the influence of the book you mentioned, and then just the prevalence of the internet and being able to be exposed to the great you know, tragedies of, but, uh, of, of short-term mission trips and so forth. But broadly speaking, it, you know, it's still there's still that ethos of expertise, and we're going to fix them, and they need us, and so forth. And it's just not the case anymore. And we do have a room to celebrate that. There are new ways to partner with um, our, our brothers and sisters overseas uh, that may look differently, and we just have to be willing to ask them, "What do you really need?" Um, 
what what should a church know about missionaries? Well, I, you know, I, how human they are, how boring their their life really is. Uh, you know, I, you would hope in this day and age that we're beyond the tales of the exotic, but quite frankly, you feel as a, a missionary raising support that there's an unspoken demand for that. And you'll hear it in a thousand different comments. But if missionaries actually went and told churches what a normal day looks like, they probably wouldn't support you. It's just not, uh, it's not sexy enough. You know, it's hard to explain to people, well, I did just about the same thing you did. I just happened to do it overseas. Um, um, and uh, I live with maybe a greater degree of stress because I don't have fuel. But nonetheless, I lose my temper just like you do. And I, um, I cook supper just like you do. And I raise kids just like you do. That's a help for missionaries to be let off the hook uh, to say when you meet them, hey, we know it's just life. And uh, we don't expect you or want you to be heroic uh, we, we're grateful that you're just able to be there. Um, and I think that's the other thing. There's just nothing special about those missionaries. Um, they're, they're just normal people that the Lord's opened up an opportunity uh, to go serve abroad. Um, any, anyone, is, anyone is susceptible to that call at any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sounds like you'd be kind of raining on the parade, but I promise you it would be refreshing to them to be able to, to hear that and know that. Yeah, that. yeah, again, just some helpful perspective there of the, the pressure that missionaries can, can feel. And, and I've heard somebody say something similar to that of just, you know, as they, they come off the field or are speaking in a church, just the need to tell, you know, the exciting conversion story or, uh, you know, to entertain the church. And so there is that, that pressure. And so, yeah, to just have other churches that are, are hearing, look, let's, let's take the pressure off and let's just mm-hmm. realize how normal day-to-day life is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, there, there might be some aspects to it where it's going to be much different, uh, but uh, some ways in which even vast cultures that are vastly different can have a lot of commonalities. And I think that's, again, some helpful perspective for us. Um, Sam, another question for you is, is more of getting you to to just share a story uh, of asking you, you know, have you been a part of a ministry disaster uh, that was not, you know, fun while you were in the middle of it? It was terrible, but now kind of looking back on it, you can, you can laugh about it. I mean, it's funny how, you know, I even think of probably as we're talking about missions, one of the worst mission mission trips we, we took i'm not going to get specific on it but it was it was hard and just mm-hmm. difficult and so a lot of frustrating things happened but it was something that the students and i when we reflect it was always that trip we would remember and it would it was a bonding you know, experience and so this quote-unquote ministry disaster you know as you're thinking back over you know it could be youth ministry being a senior pastor could be over in Africa. Uh, what, what's something you, you think about that you can kind of laugh about now? And um, yeah, as a story that kind of comes at the top. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, in one sense, ministry disaster is redundant. Um, they just <laughs> travel together, don't they? As long as the Lord uh, invests himself in human beings, there's always going to be that. Yeah, I... I yeah, I mean, I I remember making a huge blunder um, as a youth minister. Um, I got up to announce, um, and it, it's a blunder just related to not paying attention to the church's calendar, uh, that I had signed our kids up for a retreat, and I was making an announcement about payments. And after the service... Uh, you know, the chairman of the church's missions committee just stormed up front and told me he loved me and then proceeded to just dress me down for scheduling a retreat in conflict with the, with the church's missions conference. Oh. And I thought, God, you know, I, I wanted to, as a people pleaser, immediately correct it. I thought I was doing a greater good. 
for the kids. They didn't want to be bothered by that missions conference and all that. Um, I can laugh at it. You know, so for a week, two weeks, I was just kind of boiling in this, you know, misery. And when you first start in ministry, it's it's a shock that people, you know, feel that they have the, you know, freedom to come and uh, give you a piece of their mind <laughs> that they, they wouldn't do in any other job. Like I, I would not go to this gentleman's place of business and just lie it into him about, you know, the new uh, deposit slips that his bank has, you know, <laughs> but, um, so I was humbled and I was forced to attend the missions conference, but it was that conference that the Lord used to, you know, open up an opportunity for my wife and I had to go <laughs> serve overseas. So, you know, I, I was able to laugh in, in retrospect from that. But, you know, as a pastor, disasters seem to always be rising, not just from, you know, the events that we plan that we think are going to be so wonderful and three people show up mm. or, um, you know, just the family issues that go on. You walk with a family through a divorce or a loss and you just realize that those are um, after a while, after a season uh, it really does, th those two words do travel together, ministry and disaster, not just from your blunders, but just from the fact that everything you uh, want to see take place, uh, it just takes a different turn. And you actually begin to embrace that ministry and disaster are, you know, bedfellows, mm -hmm. and um, you'll always find room later to laugh in. So I, I, I'm sure there are some f funnier stories that I have, but that that's kind of the way I see that question. I, mm -hmm. I've made plenty of blunders, mm -hmm. and there have been plenty of events that have just gone sour. Um, but if you give anything time, you're able to look at them in retrospect and say, you know what, the Lord was teaching me in that, mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for it. No, that's good. And, and just hearing that story, you know, it's just a reminder. I mean, I mean, there's no way to avoid this. <laughs> that you know, you can be on top of everything. You're going to make mistakes in ministry, and of course, we, we understand we're fallen and we live in a fallen world, and so it's just inevitable. Um, but but it, it's freeing uh, too, as you said. You know, uh, ministry and disaster <laughs> is kind of redundant. Uh, they go together, and so that is kind of a freeing reality. That look, but we need to. We need to prepare for it. We need to know it. We need to own it at times and admit our faults and um, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, grow in the relationship with whoever's involved in that, that blunder. Um, but knowing that, that God's working in the midst of it, um, that's that's helpful um, to hear and to be reminded of. And look, Sam, we, you know, we talked about your youth ministry experience. We've talked about min uh, your missions, being overseas and missions. Now, thinking about you being a senior pastor, uh, what are some of your greatest joys about being a senior pastor? Uh, getting invited to do podcasts for all of them. have to rank among the top. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think as a senior pastor, I'm the type that likes, uh, I love buffets, okay? Um, <clears throat> and the reason I love buffets is because I like to taste little bits of everything, I like turnips and I like butter beans and I like chicken and the pork chop. You know, I, I don't want to have to see just one. And I've, I've been in several capacities of ministry and you always get compartmentalized. And uh, the thing I love about the senior pastor role is that I get to, to kind of taste every segment of the church's ministry. And maybe that's my personality. There are some people that might like just the focus. You know, I just want to minister to men, you know, 35 to 45, and that's great. But I, I am a buffet person, so I I love the fact that I get to uh, what I'm currently doing. On Wednesday nights, I go and teach first through sixth graders on Wednesday night. Hmm. I have that freedom. And then I get to the next day, go to the nursing home and play my guitar to um, an elderly dementia patient. Mm. 
And then I get to prepare sermons that are uh, kind of trying to hit all age groups and poorly. And I get to interact, you know, I I will insert myself to be um, a chaperone at a teen event or something. I just, I love having the freedom to do that. Um, um, So I've enjoyed that most about pastoral work. And then getting to be able to, you know, uh, share that with staff um, and see them blossom in other areas. Um, that's That's been a joy of being the senior pastor. Part of that may be that in Africa you had to do everything. Hmm. You know, there wasn't one specific thing. You had to just, whatever was available to do, you had to do it. And then when I was in Corinth, I was a solo pastor. And so I had to do all of those things. And so... Um, now that I'm in a place where I actually have staff who can specialize in those areas, I realize I would miss it if I didn't get a chance to, to deal in all that. Uh, the hard part about being a senior minister is the shifting of gears to going from, um, you know, a fun, frivolous moment to having to answer a serious question or to being in the midst of, um, you know, a high, you know, high soul growing moment, preparing for a sermon and getting a call that someone's upset about the paper towel dispenser is not up to par. You know, it's, it's the constant of having to shift gears and change hats to meet the demands of, uh, you know, so many different constituencies. I have to Senior pastors have to carry an expertise in administration, in uh, counseling, in grieving, and marriages, and uh, you know how to how to change light bulbs to what the preferred palates of people eating supper on Wednesday night should be. Uh, it, it's innumerable. Uh, so that can exhaust you a little bit, but I, I'm grateful that uh, the Lord's got me here nonetheless. Hmm. Now that's helpful to hear just the, the spectrum there uh, of what a senior pastor is, is going to be dealing with. And like you said, it's, it's filled with, uh, enormous highs and discouraging, uh, lows. And, uh, of course those, you know, out there listening, whatever area of the church or ministry, they're serving in. I mean, we, we know there's there's going to be those difficulties and those things that discourage. And so, uh, Sam, as we're wrapping this up, um, can, can you give us some ideas about soul care? Uh, we know that taking care of our own soul uh, is vitally important. I mean, that's something we, we've spoken of on this podcast and more and more kind of using that terminology of soul care uh, for uh, those serving in ministry. And so what, what are some practices that have been helpful for you? Uh, in soul care. Yeah, you know, that 20 years ago, I I would have relegated soul care uh, to a minor role, um, that the more weight, the weightier matters were um, meeting people in their needs and uh, preparing for what you teach. That's, that's what you need to be really dealing with. But I, I've realized over the years that it's precisely the opposite, that there is something true about those things flow from a soul that's um, spending time with the Lord. And it's, I've, I find it, like most of the people listening, it's, it's the single hardest thing to do. Hmm. And so I don't have any magic bullet. I pick up the Bible and try to read it with regularity and fail miserably. And uh, I try to sometimes, all I can do is deal with what I'm just focusing on teaching. Uh, you can even go through that without even praying. But <clears throat> I, I find a good book that um, addresses that dilemma, not just here's here's what your soul needs to hear, but addresses how challenging it is to be a pastor. And that always inspires me to uh, come back to seeking out the things that will fill my soul up. It's important to talk to people. 
you got to laugh. You know, if I was putting together a great devotional package, I've got a couple of books. I've got some music and uh, I would watch The Office uh, at least once a day. Uh, All that to say, there's there's so much that can go into keeping you healthy and whole um, um, as you uh, minister to God's people. Right now, you know, I'm reading through Deuteronomy and I read a chapter a day and I'm making notes of it that are specifically related to what it's like being a pastor. I'm not reading it for, you know, what's its what place does it play in the redemptive history of God's people? I'm not reading it as this would make a good sermon. I'm strictly underlining passages that only relate to what it's like ministering to people. Um, what it's like being a pastor. And I found that to be such a helpful thing. Now, someday I may go back through that book and as how would I teach this to people? But right now, it's purely selfish. Uh, what's the Lord telling me in these passages? And so I'll read a chapter, I'll underline a few verses, I think about it for a few minutes, and then I ask the Lord to help me and pray through it. Um, so I find that to be a great benefit. Tomorrow I may forget to do it, and so instead of beating myself up, I'll get back on, uh, you know, back on the horse the next day and so forth. Hmm. No, no, Sam, I mean, that is very helpful. I mean, just to hear, again, freeing for you to say, okay, you're strictly reading through Deuteronomy to say, okay, what does this mean for the pastor? What does this mean for the ministry? And so people out there listening to just know, okay, look, we, we can, you know, have those. I mean, we, we think of, okay, properly exegeting a text of scripture and making sure we understand context, but to, to, to see that, you know, God's word speaks to, to, to so much and to, to see that as kind of a freeing thing. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm not going to prepare for a lesson for this. I'm just going to, okay, what is the Lord teaching me, you know, at this season of life? Um, I think that's, yeah. that's, vitally uh, important and kind of on the, the lighter end of the spectrum, you mentioned uh, episodes of the office. <laughs> um, uh, yes. <laughs> so I, I know something, I mean, you talking about Monday morning humor and again, we're, we're starting to wrap this, this up. I know we we've talked about this before. Any thoughts on, okay, Monday morning humor, you know, Sundays for mm. so many in ministry being uh, just a, a full day an encouraging day, but a draining day. And so mm. Monday, Monday mornings, is, is there any, thoughts that you have for that? I mean, we, we've talked a little bit uh, behind the scenes uh, about Monday morning humor. Any any advice there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is important. Um, um, yeah. You know, I come in on Mondays. I avoid staying home. I know a lot of pastors see Monday as the day to take off. And probably if we had a, a Sunday night service, I would be more prone to that. But I get... I get the afternoon to kind of rest, and then Monday I'm insistent on coming in. But I, we purposefully get together as a staff and make jokes, uh, not at other people's expense necessarily, but just <laughs> we just try to, to uh, laugh as best we can. Um, I will typically come in and tell my staff that they're fired, you know, just to <laughs> kind of sh- – <laughs> um, or, you know, something silly like that. But you're, you're right. I, I saw, I think Kevin DeYoung used to post that on his blog every Monday. He would have something that was just funny, unrelated to church, to help uh, to help in that. Because Monday can be um, depressing. Mm-hmm. Most, most, most ministers, including youth ministers, are, you know, uh, dusting off their resumes every Monday. <laughs> uh, but if you know that, then you can find a place... Uh, of commonality with other brothers if you if you get the blessing to work with others but it's true for for every minister so yeah humor humor is important mm-hmm. now and i think that's just again a good practical thing of uh just yeah yeah trying to take some time just to laugh and to step back and um yeah i think it's it's vitally important i mean just over the years of ministry to kind of work some of those things into a schedule or something, you know, more lighthearted, as you said, with staff to even kind of take a step away, get off campus and, you know, go somewhere, share a nice meal. I mean, just things like that uh, can be ways to to care for our soul, uh, to guard from that, that burnout in ministry. Um, So Sam, look, this has been great getting to catch up with you. This has been helpful. Uh, There's a lot of good, uh, 
practical wisdom uh, you've imparted that I know many will be blessed by. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to come on the podcast uh, this week and share your, your story with us. Thanks, brother. Love RYM. Thank you for all that you're doing. Absolutely. And, and to those listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Just a reminder, you can check out the timestamps to this interview. Uh, you can jump around and navigate uh, more easily. So be sure to check that out in the show notes. Uh, we hope you're enjoying this longer format. Uh, be sure to check out our other podcasts, uh, Parenting Today and the RYM Student Podcast. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good day. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay, for the King has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast.